0: Recorded live on April the 1st, 2018, from Coolidge, Arizona. Happy Resurrection Day. A beginning statement healing takes planning, illness just happens. Well, I guess I can go home now. Think about it. Anyway, I'm a friend of Dr. Einstein. He doesn't know it. It's a one-way thing. But uh, he was once traveling from Princeton on a a train when the conductor came down the aisle, punching the tickets of every passenger. When he came to Einstein, Einstein reached into his vest pocket. He couldn't find his ticket. So he reached into his trouser pockets, and it wasn't there. He looked in his briefcase, but couldn't find it. Then he looked in the seat beside him. He still couldn't find it. The conductor said, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. We all know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. Einstein nodded appreciatively. Then the conductor continued down the aisle punching tickets. As he was ready to move to the next car, he turned around and saw the great physicist down on his hands and knees, looking under his seat for his ticket. The conductor rushed back and said, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, don't worry. I know who you are. No problem. You don't need a ticket. I'm sure you bought one. Listen. Dr. Einstein looked at him and said, Young man, I, too, know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. (laughs) Oh, some of you are quick, some of you are real slow, but this time next year you will have caught on. <clears throat> we'll call that a resurrection of you. But we need to step, one, where I want to begin today is we, we have to step out of the shadows of ignorance and the uh, shadows of denial. We must begin to do that and move into an area of which we can know. Dr. Einstein may not have remembered where he bought a ticket to, and so that's why he needed his ticket. But, folks, we can know where we're going. And that's the intent of these lessons, is to help each one determine their destiny. And we can have the destiny we choose to have. But sometimes, folks, there are two sums that sum is S-O-M-E-S. That's a play on words. Sometimes it's someday. Someday I'll get serious about getting a plan. Someday I'll get serious about teaching my children a plan, a purpose. Sometime I will, someday, I will get things together to where I can educate those around me that there is a purpose to life and they need to be in that purpose. Someday, and then we run out of time before that someday arrives. Time has passed. And then the other sum of the two that I mentioned is somehow. Because some find a way to get in touch with their warrior spirit. You've all got one. That I'm going to make it. Here's my plan. I have to fine-tune it. I have a purpose. You see, that's the difference between good and evil. Evil isn't anything that you do. It is never a sin. Evil is not having a purpose. That's what the word means. Without purpose, without design. And every parent who does not teach their child to have a design in life and a purpose in life, are teaching the child how to be evil. Because that's what evil means. It's not the same as wickedness. It's not the same as sin. Otherwise, we wouldn't have those other words in there. But some find a way to get in touch with that warrior spirit, to dig down deep and activate the willpower to fight the good fight and then to emerge victorious. That's what this class is designed to help you do. We can know, but in order for that knowledge that we accumulate to be effective, all of the components must be in order. Remember last week, Neil brought us an example from the shop about having all the components together. It doesn't do any good to put a finely honed blade saw on a piece of inferior equipment. Right, Nolan? I got his agreement. We can go on. <clears throat> if we don't have all the components in order, and that's what we're attending, attempting to do in this class, is to build from the very basic, the, all of the necessary components. Now, we're not being exhaustive in any of these because you have to pursue it and you have to expand on it to your satisfaction. But we're giving you the ideas to, to begin with and all of these components have to be equally in order. Because if you don't have the first foundation straight, it won't do any good what your finished project is. It will be haywire. We have, to get, we have to get all the components of the faith properly in order. And then otherwise um, our lives will be out of balance. That's the only way we can know is when all and everything we do is in order. And folks, if you know of anybody who needs to be in these beginning classes, <coughs> we encourage you to encourage them to get on board because this can be once-in-a-lifetime process. David, didn't we
1: study once that that was the meaning of the word repentance
0: as well? To get in step. To get in step. Yeah, it means it's the transition from evil to good. Repentance is the step, the motion that is involved by our will that we're going to move into step into agreement with God.
1: But the world teaches that you should be, like, stand out in front of everybody and be humiliated and say you're sorry for everything you've done. Well, that comes
0: out of Catholicism.
1: Whereas... Opposed to the real meaning of the word means that we dust ourselves off, find the rhythm, and get in step.
0: That's right. Get it in, to get into step. So
1: there, it's a there, positive. There. It's not a negative.
0: It's it's a positive thing. It's a dynamic.
1: Well, that just won't do. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll practice more humiliation. We'll practice we? the other way with you. We should be sorry all the time and feel bad. And, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You should always live with
0: a guilt feeling. Right. Well, guilt feelings are okay because, you know, how you feel doesn't determine your guilt. That's free. (laughs) Guilt is not determined by feeling. You can feel good and still be guilty, or you can feel really, really bad and really, really guilty and having done nothing. Feeling is no determination of guilt. Got it? You're quick, Alex. You're right on top of it. See, we've got all these terms that we, we... we conjure up that are not biblically based
1: Baggage, huh baggage
0: baggage, and so that they, they're, they're a part of what makes the components of our faith inferior we've got to get all the components, all of our thinking from the very beginning must all be in order that, repent, That's Greek
1: and you know repent was metro uh, uh,
0: metronome. It's a form of that. Mm-hmm. The the constant beat. So get into step with the beat. You know. So <clears throat> a lot of a lot of we, a lot of us have a wobble in our belief system, and that's because there's there's something in one of the components of our faith that isn't up to speed, and we need to make sure that we're developing the wholeness. <clears throat> and I'll have more to say about that this morning. Uh, later on so we, we begin to build one step at a time and um, the blade that Neil represented and we sent out on the email last week um, that's what hits the road that's the part of your faith that hits life right square that's the blade and if you're carrying on that blade if you're carrying in your faith the name you need to have all the components in order; otherwise, what is seen is going to have a wobble to it. Well, that's all based on last week. We have to be careful about uh, wearing the name, but having a defective mission or a defective component, and those those are, is our that's our process of trying to correct all of the defective components of how we look at life we started with the hor- horizontally the two the two laws and all human conduct must be measured by those two common laws horizontally we know what they are what's the first one
1: do, to to do?
0: do all that you have agreed to do And the second one was, do not infringe nor encroach on other persons or their property. And then we pursued that, and we've discovered that's also how we have access into the thinking about God. We learn from the Scriptures that, that God does what he says he's going to do. That's one of the purposes behind the Scripture. We'll talk about that later in a couple of weeks. And the second thing is that God will not infringe on you. God will not manipulate you. God... God will not work unilaterally in you. God doesn't do that. That's why he has given to us a standard. He invites us to come and live up to that standard. The process of that is called repentance, a very, very positive and dynamic uh, force in life. If you're working on a machine, Alex, in your shop, and uh, you're doing something that uh, uh, doesn't quite produce the right angle on something that you're sharpening and someone comes over to you and explains that to you and you make that adjustment that is getting into step with the adjustment that's repentance that makes a better product it's a positive thing a dynamic thing when Peter on the day of Pentecost called people to repentance he wasn't saying you know come forward and confess this and confess that and confess everything else you old dirty Jews
1: they already—they already knew what they did.
0: They—they have.
1: Everybody else did too.
0: They all knew. But he said, "Now, just get in step with what's right." See, that's the key. That's a dynamic. That's a wonderful, wonderful way of looking at Christianity. It is—it is, it is a dynamic force. So, <clears throat> vertically, we—we shown—we have shown that there are two laws that point us in the direction of God, who is there. And that we discussed last week. The first one was, both of them are Einstein's law of thermodynamics. And folks, every, every, every human thinking, all questions must answer to these two laws, <clears throat> not only the two laws horizontally, not only the two laws vertically, but as to whether or not there was a creator, also we have two laws. And the first one was what? That all matter and all energy is a constant. It may change its form. There is as much water now on the universe as there ever was, but it changes form. There's not as much drinking water, but there's still as much water. So the the first law is that all matter and energy is constant. Very important that everything began the way it still is today. The second law gives us the direction that everything goes from an ordered state to a disordered state. That's called what? You got it. Entropy. <clears throat> As obvious to anyone with eyes to see and a mind that thinks, very opposite to the theory of evolution. <clears throat> Every question must be answered by one or the other of these two laws in regarding the creation and what has happened from the creation to our time today. Somebody says, well, what about the long periods of time in our textbook in school? Had a teacher in Florence who got dismissed because she gave some truth about the dinosaurs and, and um, the school board did not like the fact that man and the dinosaurs coexisted. Well, that was a loss on our behalf, but that's the way it is because of the long period. A million here, a billion there. But let me give you an illustration for Luis. Luis, you got a good imagination? Can you see this cup? Can you see, you still see that cap? That cap is a candle. Can you see that as a candle? You can see that as a candle. Now, here's where your imagination has to come in. It's a candle. That cup, that candle is six inches tall. You got that? So, it's a candle. It's six inches tall and it's burning. It's got a wick in it and it's burning. It's burning down at the rate of one inch per hour. You all got the question, all got this condition? You have all the information. We have a candle. How tall is it? Six inches. What is the rate of its burning? One inch per hour. My question isn't what you are anticipating. How long has that candle been burning?
1: 360 trillion years.
0: (laughs) Well, that's as 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 good of a guess as you get. What's wrong with the question? You see, a question is not a legitimate question unless it has an answer. And a question is not a legitimate question if the answer that you hear doesn't you you don't recognize it. If you don't recognize an answer. then that's your problem, isn't it? You don't recognize the answer to a question. But So that means that when you ask a question, you're going to recognize the answer, and the question that you ask will have an answer, because anyone can form a question that cannot be answered. There are certain religious cults today that specialize in tripping, tra- tripping you up at the door by asking you questions that you can't answer that only they know the answer to. Beware. Once you realize this basic principle, you'll never get caught in that trap again, is that you do not answer a question that has no answer, and that if you had an answer, such as Ellen just gave to us, you don't know whether that's right or wrong. There's no way of knowing, because we don't have the information we need. That's true with every date that is put in any board. You can measure the radioactivity, both organically and inorganically, organically from any object, you can only measure what the rate of decay of that inorganic radioactive material is, and you can measure how much is still there, but you have no idea of knowing how long it's been there, how long it's been um, decaying, and what the rate of decay has been in the past. No one knows any of those answers, no matter how scientifically you think you are. There is no way to place any date on anything and there is no instrument made by man today that can measure anything beyond that description, outside of that realm. You see the point? Don't get taken in by questions that have no answer. How long has, the, has that candle been burning? We haven't got a clue. We don't know whether the rate of decay has always been or the rate of burning has always been a constant or not. We have no way of just having any discussion on that, whatever. So, we always have to focus on things that we can get a handle on. So, that's how I'd answer the long periods of time is that nobody can prove those. Those are simply a projection of illusion. Outside of, you know, playing witness to it,
1: <clears throat> seeing something, seeing,
0: oh, lighting
1: the, the candle. That's right. They, you know, they dated the rocks at Mount St. Helens after it, 10 years after it had erupted.
0: Oh, yeah. And their,
1: their, their dates were thousands and thousands of years off. And yeah. they blamed the sample, but they... And
0: they also said, because, you know, we could see that from our house. We were at, we lived on the Columbia River Gorge, and, and our deck overlooked the river, and we could see St. Helens, and it was awesome. All those clouds, I mean, that cloud coming over, um, it was just awesome. <clears throat> it's scary, really, because you couldn't see anything
2: my
0: uncle's body, Your uncle did? Yeah,
2: he was out milking a cow. Oh, really, really.
0: yeah. And, and it, it was an awesome thing. And they, they projected that to get that mountain to the state that it is today would take about one and a half million years, and it's already there. And so they're already logging in that area, you know? There's a lot of Democrats
1: in Washington, so that's why.
0: <laughs> well... I don't know about that, but it's probably true. Anyway, now, so we're talking about things where we need to get serious about life. We need to get serious about building all of the components in our life in the right order and getting them all right as we go. And I I didn't quite illustrate last week that um, quite, I didn't state some of the things that I needed to state more clearly, and that is if we have all of the letters of your name in a a bucket, and you take them out and drop them from an airplane, and you want them to land in order so it spells your name on the top of a skyscraper. You do that, and how do they end up? Well, they end up on, you know, all over the city of Phoenix. And somebody says, according to the evolutionists, let's put more time to it so we put a parachute on each of those letters, and then we go up. Now it's all over the state, several counties. The more time you give something, the more random everything becomes. Order does not come out of disorder. Order always goes toward disorder. That's the second law of thermodynamics. The first law says that everything should be reversible. We have a river, the river flows along, and we have a drop of of falls in that river, and we put a water wheel on that falls. The water comes down the river, hits that water wheel, and it fills the buckets of that water wheel and the, the weight from the water in those buckets, turn that wheel, that wheel is connected to a shaft, the shaft goes inside and runs a generator and produces electrical energy. First law says you ought to be able to reverse that process. The second law says what does it take to reverse that process? An external agent. It can't be reversed. You can't back that water and run that water wheel backwards and put the water back in the river again. That's not how it works. We all know that. We visualize that. There is as much water as there ever was. All of that potential energy is all still there, but it becomes changed. And it cannot be reversed without an external agent. So the, observ- the observable evidence tells us that there is a lawgiver, a designer-creator, and that all things began fully developed. Then, having been fully developed, the second law of thermodynamics kicks in and they go from order toward disorder. Now today in our remaining time, I want to talk about two more things. We've talked about the two laws. We've talked about two ways of knowing something about God through those two laws. We've talked about two ways to deal with the order of our universe, whether it was created or whether it was evolved. And we've discussed that very briefly. My, There are books and libraries written on that theme. We're just giving you the ideas. Now we look at two heavenly facts today that are critical to wherever you go in your understanding of the things about God that we really need to know. And the first thing we need to know about God, this creator, this creator who is there, is that uh, you're going to sit down. The response that I get is, well, that's just not true. So then I have to prove it, document it. But the first thing we need to know about this creator This God who is there, who is the creator of all things, he's the designer, created everything full, developed, and then the systems begin to run down. But this creator, what we need to know about him, first of all, is that he is a God who hides himself. Most religions today are in the attempt to try to bring God out of hiding. We've got to have an understanding that God is in hiding by himself, that it's his decision to keep himself in hiding. Let's look at John 1.18, because it's the answer for John 1.18. It says that, well, let's just read it, John 1.18. Almost all of theology today is attempted to bring God out of hiding. As soon as you do that, you destroy the essence of salvation because we are saved through faith, that is, believing what God has said about things we cannot see, even including him. And we're saved by that, not by sight. And we have to know why. Down the way, we're going to discuss why God made it that way. Why God does everything he can to keep us in the situation of faith. That's why he sent his son and why he did not come himself so that he could remain what? Hidden. Hidden. You folks are catching on. Look at John one eighteen. No one... I have not a clue what that means. No one has seen God at any time.
3: The only begotten one
0: who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Now that tells us some things, that Jesus was a begotten
3: God, the
0: only begotten God. He, because, see, God is not the name of Jehovah. It is the character, characterization of a position. And Jesus was filling a position just as the judges of the Old Testament were called God. This one was begotten by God. He was not infinitive, as was the Father. He had a beginning, And no man has seen God at any time, but we have seen the one who came out of him and came to explain him. That keeps us in the situation of faith. Let's go to uh, Isaiah. I think Isaiah 45, verse. By the way, there are notes today. Uh, They were sent out. If you got them, fine. If not, why? Tough luck. For those of you who didn't get a set of notes, there is an additional charge for not having gotten them. <clears throat> Look at Isaiah 45:15. So no man has seen God at any time. So we ask the question, why? There are a lot of other things in that verse that we need to deal with, but that's not what we're there for right now. <clears throat> Truly, you are a God who makes himself known to everyone visibly the thing that identified the God of Israel from idolatry folks is that he is a God who hides himself an idol can't do that he says the difference between me and the idols of idolatry is that they can all be seen I'm different from them in that I cannot be seen I hide myself why does he hide himself So we will remain in the situation of faith. That's the proof of the pudding. Let's go to, let's read one more. If you have the notes, I'm going to skip over some here. Uh, Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Let me say this while we're looking for that verse. I am not so naive as to believe that these basic lessons will save the world. Though that is my wish and my objective. The lots of people have good intentions at the start of a journey. But only a few have the grit and the determination to reach their destination. And my desire is for you that you will be one of the victorious ones. You can know not like Einstein, you can know where you are going and you can reach that ideal. You can reach your destination. And our plan is that through these lessons, you get started on that journey. They are not complete in and of themselves. You need to develop them to fit your needs, but they're the clue as to how we approach all of the components of our faith. Look at uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God, you see, we're talking about now vertically, he who comes to God must believe that he looks like Santa. <laughs> no, he. We must believe that he is. Must believe that he is based on evidence, based on the evidence of creation, based on the evidence of his word, which we're going to talk about in later lessons. But right now, all we have is the creation. He said, that's enough. That's enough to let you know that that house has been built by somebody. Every house is built by some man. The universe has been built by somebody. That somebody is God. That's about as scientific of an answer as you'll ever get. Just realize that is an answer. Recognize it as such. So he is a rewarder of those who what seek him. If we seek him,
1: that means we we want to seek him.
0: We want we want to know him.
1: Instead of him stalking us. That's right.
0: And that's why we said he does not encroach. The second law of horizontally is that we do not encroach on one another nor infringe on one another or their, or their person or their, or their possessions. And we learn from that that God does not infringe upon us. He does not unilaterally come into our life and change our
1: thinking, change, change our
0: baggage.
1: Well, the other side of that, David, is that we have no one to blame but ourselves.
0: Oh, that's true.
1: See, so that's not right. I'd like to, like, blame the Padre or something. Blame Gina. she will do
0: yeah, you just blame her. Because she's got the shoulders to take the blame for anybody. There you go. I, every time I get into trouble, I blame her. I very seldom blame Laurie. Because I understand how mean Lord, uh, Ted can get. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so the first thing then, uh, of the two, of knowing... How we approach God is that, first of all, he is a God who hides himself. Let's not try to bring him out of hiding. And every every belief must fit that one of two facts about God. The second fact is this, that the God is the whole, that's W-H-O-L-E, of goodness. He is the whole of goodness. Anything less than the whole of goodness is evil. It doesn't mean they do naughty things. It means they have a lack of purpose. Now, don't most most children, most children, most children, yeah, yeah, most children, don't have a clear idea of purpose. Where do they get that? From the parents. That's the parent's responsibility. Read the book of Proverbs. The parent's responsibility is to teach a plan for their children and to discipline according to the plan that's been taught. The purpose of discipline is to put somebody in step with the objective for your life. Determined by the parents and by the skills and aptitude of that child. Then you see people who excel reach their potential. So first of all, we we discussed that the only route to a hidden God is to diligently seek him. Second thing, is that god is the whole of goodness you see why the first lesson of einstein was so important good and evil the lack of there's everything is good god is the whole of goodness evil is what is the lack of purpose the lack of good which is always related to purpose is the lack of good, and evil is, is the lack of good, and that becomes evil or the lack of purpose. You've got to remember how the Bible uses these terms. We get them all scrambled up. And we get a theology built about a scrambled up definition. Let's stop the nonsense. So that's why when he says that um, light Darkness does not exist anywhere. Darkness is the absence of, absence of light. Cold and hot. There is no such thing as cold. You can't measure it. You can only measure the thermal measurement of heat. Heat. And the absence, so cold, therefore, is the absence of heat. Heaven is the is the place of order. The reason that the word Gehenna is used for the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem is that it represents the lack of order. You've got all the parts of your little red wagon in that garbage dump, but don't try to use it. I mean, the handlebar is one end of the dump, and the tires are on another dump, and the wheels are somewhere else, and the axle is somewhere. It's all disarrayed, total disorder, and that's why that word Gehenna is used for the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. Total state of disorder, as the in opposition to heaven, which is the place. Of complete order. I'll tell you, our young people and the people in the church, if they just get this clear, their lives will take on a new dynamic. Now, let's look at um, some verses here. Let's go to uh, Ezekiel chapter 33. I think I'm going to finish this today. That's kind of unusual.
1: Ezekiel
0: or Exodus? I said Exodus, didn't I?
1: Ezekiel.
0: I did say Ezekiel. I wonder if that's a premonition. <laughs> Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 19 through 22. And uh, <clears throat> because I I mean ex, ex, Exodus. Ex, see, that's the baggage.
2: Yeah.
0: Once you get something set in your mind, that's how you see everything. See? It's a good teaching moment. <laughs> Somebody says evil men, they always think of sin. Well, it doesn't have anything to do with an act of sin. It has to do with what allows you to sin or to do the act. That means the lack of goodness, the lack of purpose. And every sin that is committed is sin because you have temporarily, if not permanently, forsaken the idea of order and purpose. So they all tie together, of course, but evil is the motive. So... In exodus chapter thirty, I got it right that time in exodus chapter thirty three remember that good is good is primary power is secondary before the creation of the universe, there was a conflict between God and Satan satan 's claim and is expressed to us through the book of Job that the only difference between he and God was that God had more power God got his feelings hurt over that, and he said that's not true at all. The difference is is that I am good, and the difference is not of power, but it is one of goodness. Satan led a rebellion against God, tempting God to exercise power against him. And, of course, as a result of that, the universe was created, and we'll know the story here in a few weeks on that. But remember, you have to have a worldview or you're not going to get anything right. You have to have a worldview, and that worldview has to be biblically based. So <clears throat> God's goodness is the primary factor about God that we are to seek. What do I I seek about God? Well, I I want, oh, we sing that song, God is so good, God is so, he's so good. So far, that song is beautiful. And then it says, God is so good to me, and then it blows the whole thing. (laughs) We're talking about what God is. And whatever it is God is, he makes available to all of mankind equally, but they must move to it. He does not move any aspect of that to them. Remember that Well, what about the little sparrow? What about the little sparrow? He let it fall and die well he, he knew it, but he didn't do nothing about it. So the word compassion" in the book of second Corinthians chapter one, that book of compassion means that God is cognizant, but God doesn't change because to change he'd have to change his basic character of entwining himself in human life. And that's what he hides himself as to not do that. So what does it say? Verse 19. And he said, Moses said, I've got to see what makes you, see the word glory means what makes you stand out, God? What makes you different than the devil? However you think about that. What makes, the word glory means to give recognition to. What makes you stand out? Well, I'm going to make all of my goodness pass before you. That's what I stand out for.
3: And will proclaim the
0: character. The name, name there, the word name, is nomenclature. It means a full disclosure of the character of God. I will make it known before you. It doesn't do any good to say Jesus. Jesus was a common name. Every Tom, Dick, and Harry was named Jesus in those days. How many people do we have named Jesus here? Well, not in the room, but I mean, particularly here uh, in, in this community, we have a lot of folks named Jesus, Asus. Uh, and um, that's, that's just a common name. The reason he was named Jesus, because for a while, for a little while, he was as one of us. Now, he never came so low as to be one of Jesus. Oh, no, didn't go that far. But he became as one of us, one of mankind. Otherwise, what he did means nothing to me at all. He became as one of us. I will proclaim the name, the character, the nomenclature, the full disclosure of who I am. I'm going to have passed before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And that's going to depend upon how you respond to it. And will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. He won't do anything out of that compassion, but he'll know it. And you'll know that God feels for it when you have a pain. But you're not going to have that pain go away. You better go see your doctor. unless it's psychosomatic. Well, I have a book entitled In Search of a Miracle. It was a doctor who had joined forces with um what's that famous, very skilled uh female preacher a few years back? Catherine Kuhlman. Have you all you've all heard of Catherine Kuhlman. Very, very talented person. But she, uh, her doctor wrote a book. Her doctor that followed her wrote a book, In Search of a Miracle, where he said that every, he got so disgusted with Christianity because he said, everybody, it was all fake. He checked everything out and documented it and wrote a book called In Search of a Miracle, You Ought to Read the Book. He worked with her day after day after day, and they'd bring these people in with wheelchairs in to be healed, and they'd go out totally devastated, and it broke his heart. He had been a medical doctor and then lined up with her because there's too many things I can't do. And when he lined up with her, he discovered that the things that were claiming claiming to be done were absolutely the opposite. He wrote a book on it. It's worthwhile reading. It's called In Search of a Miracle. I don't remember the author's name. It's an old book now. <clears throat> so here we have this. the second thing is that God is the completion of goodness. Everything that is good comes out of God. Jesus said, don't call any man good, but whom? God. Because God is the whole of goodness. He didn't say that people didn't have any goodness in them at all. But he's talking about the whole of goodness is all in the Father, all in God. Did we finish that context? I don't think we finished that. So he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and what? Anybody who says they want to bring God back into visibility, what's going to happen to them? I'd say the more, the merrier, get with it. You know, we've got too many people on earth anyhow. That's one way to get them eliminated, right? You cannot see my face. You cannot see that which represents my wholeness. No man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock, and it will, there is a place by me, next to me, and you will stand there on a rock, and it will come about... While my glory is passing by, while my goodness, the thing that makes me stand out in the heavenly realm, is my goodness, my glory, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed, out, uh, passed by, then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. God is protecting his visibility because he does not want to destroy the essence of faith. Folks, we have to understand these two things about God. One is that God hides himself and he hides himself. He wants you to seek him, but what he wants you to seek in him is his goodness and that his goodness is represented to all of mankind equally and that in the New Testament is called grace. What God has done done to which man is available to enter into all of mankind equally is called grace don't forget those definitions so here we have oh i got to read jeremiah 31:14 and then we got to close yeah Then I will fill the soul of the priest with abundance. And my people, my people. And of course we realize here, he's talking to the people of Israel. That's fine. My people will be satisfied with what? With his goodness. My people shall be satisfied with what? My goodness. We use that phrase as a means of profanity. Mm -hmm. You can talk, you can profane all you want, but don't say, oh my goodness. That's profaning the very essence of God. We don't need to say God damn. No one ever says Buddha damn. (laughs) Because Buddha doesn't amount to a hill of beans. But we attack the highest form, And we don't tell someone to go to a total state of disorder called hell. We're not in a position to do that. What God wants us to do is to be so sensitive to his goodness that that in and of itself is our satisfaction. My last statement. This creator of all, the whole Of goodness, the giver of life, the one who keeps himself hidden. Is he silent? Let's pray. Father, may our commitment be to grasp the principles of this study and to make a determination that we will see this journey through to its end. In Jesus' name, amen.